what is it? What did Moses say distinguishes his people from all the other people in the world? What is it? His presence. In Exodus chapters 32 to 34, that story of the golden calf, your presence has got to go with us. Is this not what distinguishes us and marks us? That we are his people. Is that we carry his presence. Way back in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God walked in the cool of the day. And after they had uh, disobeyed the Lord, they were trying to hide. Genesis 3.8, hide from the presence of God. <laughs> Who wants to hide from the presence of God? But they had fellowship you know, with, with the deity, with, with God. And God there in the garden made himself known, made himself manifest. He didn't just create the heavens and earth and then just took a roll some distance away as if he was a God who's going to govern all of this from a million light years away. No, he was right present within his creation, walking in the cool of the day, and the man and the woman he had created had divine fellowship with him in his presence. What a powerful thing that is. My understanding of reading the creation story, I don't know if you ever thought of it in this way or not, but I, I believe that Genesis 1, the creation story, is the creation of a temple. The heavens and the earth are the temple of God. I, 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 that's how I read the creation story. That The Bible begins with a temple in Genesis and in Revelation ends with a temple. And the Bible goes from temple to temple. And in the seven days of creation, seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle of Moses, it all, all correlates. But if you do build a temple, the last thing you put into that temple is your image. And God has put man in there as his image because we're to be his, his presence. And what a horrible thing it was in, in that original creation that, that man was banished. From the presence of God. What loss. We can't even begin to understand. Banished from the presence of God. You know, because of our sin. But God's not happy with, with us being banished from His presence. And he, and he works in history and He moves in history to unite us back to His presence. When you get to the, the story of, of the book of Exodus... God wants to renew His presence on the earth. And you know the story, how Israel was slaves in Egypt for more than four centuries. And God calls these people to be His own. And how many know they had nothing going for them? Aren't you glad God calls people who have nothing going for them? <laughs> Isn't that good news? Man, if it was up to us to create an atmosphere by which God should choose us, forget it, folks. But God chose people 
who had absolutely nothing going for them. Everything was absolutely the wrong direction in their lives. And God says, I want you. But then the message that Moses was to give to Pharaoh is to let my people go so they can meet with me. They didn't know this God. Where has God been for the last several centuries? And then God shows up and here's the message. Let my people go so they can meet with me. Isn't that amazing? So you can meet with me. Offer sacrifice to me out there in the wilderness. And you know the story of of Exodus. I don't need to repeat that story, but... You know, after the mighty deliverance and the crossing of the Red Sea and the awesome display of the power of God, God is about to try to get His presence once again to dwell in the midst of His people. It's been a long time in history since that's ever happened. But God's goal was that His presence would once again be found in the midst of those he loves. And, you know, God made himself known on Mount Sinai. You should have been there to see it. It was awesome. It was majestic. It was fearful. Overwhelmingly fearful on Mount Sinai. Because your Bible talks about earthquakes. Your Bible talks about trumpets. And your Bible talks about people that were petrified of that revelation of the presence of God. And they were scared. And they said to Moses, man, we can't handle this. You go do the talking. You just tell us what he says. It's a little too much for us. This presence of God is so overwhelming. But I want you to hear the heart of God. In Exodus 19, 4-6, as he's about to make covenant with these people that he set free for no other purpose that he loved them, He makes this statement, I bore you on eagles' wings, and I have brought you to myself. God wanting to establish this intimate relationship again. I brought you to myself. A peculiar treasure, a a, a peculiar people to me. How I bear you on Ingalls week, and I brought you to myself. And here's the heart of God, and when He makes covenant with the people, it's so that He could be their God, and they will be His people, again, so His presence would be there. And then, in Exodus 20 to 24, those five chapters there, God makes covenant with the people. And you've got the terms of the covenant in those chapters in, in the book of Exodus, and you know, when Moses was going up and down that mountain to meet with God, he had some unusual experiences because the Bible says that he was up there caught up in the, in the cloud. He was up there in the glory of God and he entered a whole different dimension than what people on the bottom were experiencing. He was in the presence, in the glory of God, and, and then after that covenant is made, and then in Exodus chapter uh, 25 to, I forget what chapter it is, chapter 31, he starts giving all of these details about how to build this tabernacle, and he gives dimensions and what kind of materials they should be made of, and all the different pieces of furniture. 
But he says, there's a reason why I'm giving you these instructions. And there's at least three places that I'm aware of in those chapters in in Exodus, in chapter 25, and a couple of times in chapter 29. He says, the reason I'm doing this is because I want to dwell in your midst. Amen. Did you catch that? I want to dwell in your midst. And when they construct this tabernacle, then, hallelujah, the presence of God is restored back to his people. But you know what happened there. Well, Moses was up in the mountain receiving these instructions and the pattern of the tabernacle that the, the children of Israel commit the sin of the golden calf. And, and God's not exactly thrilled or pleased with this behavior that they're doing and they're breaking all the commandments before they even get them. You know, and, and then God says some very stern things. One of the greatest difficult, must have been a hard thing for Moses to hear this. He says, okay, I'll forgive because you asked me to forgive, but my presence won't be there. I'll give you an angel instead. How good are you negotiating with God? Because there are movements in the world today that love to follow angels. There are. You know, the angel has appeared to me, and the angel did this, and the angel whose name is this, and all revival, and the angels are showing up. And, but you know, Moses, his prayer was, no, we haven't done all of this for an angel. Thank God for angels, but that's not the object of our hearts. And he negotiated with God, and he says, it's, but, but God... An angel with us is an awesome thing for sure. But that's not what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. What distinguishes us from the rest of the world is that your presence is here. And God, I don't want the angel. I want your presence. Are we catching that? You know, when Mary stood at the tomb of Jesus, he was talking with this man robed in white, and here he is having angelic experiences at the, at the tomb of Jesus. But Mary doesn't say, wow, this is neat, let's have a revival around this one. He said, that's awesome, but angel, excuse me, it's not you that I want. <laughs> it's not you that I want. Where is he? I got to have his presence. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't take me anywhere. I just don't want to be a people who are blessed by God, but God is distant. From a distance, God blesses us. I just don't want to be a people where God fulfills His promises to us, but He's distant from us. We're not interested in that. Moses would say, if I don't have your presence, I have nothing. Amen? It's the presence of the Lord that, that we need. And thank God he negotiated with them. Okay, okay, my presence will be with you. And then in the rest of the book of Exodus, they, they build this tabernacle according to the pattern. And you know what I, I love? What it says at the very end of Exodus when they, they finished it? You know what happened? The last couple of verses of Exodus, you know what it says? 
when they finished building the tabernacle, it says the cloud came and hovered over the tabernacle. And the glory of God was manifest. Now get this, even Moses himself, Moses who had ascended the mountain up into where the glory of God was, Moses who communed with God face to face, this extraordinary man named Moses, even he could not enter into that tabernacle because of the presence of God. And God had moved, changed address from Mount Sinai to the midst of his people. Wow. Now we can move. And when that pillar of fire and the cloud moved, then they could go because the presence of God was with them. Do you and I have the same mindset? Have we got the same mindset? The presence of God. You work your way forward through history and you finally get to the time of King David who wanted to build God a permanent house rather than a tabernacle that was mobile. And because he was a man of war, God said, no, your son Solomon will do it. But David provided a lot of the materials, but Solomon, the son of peace, was the one who actually constructed for it. And you know what happened when he finished building it? Remember when they dedicated it? Remember what happened? You can read it in Second Chronicles 5. Or you can read it, I think it's First Kings chapter 8, if I remember right. It says there's 120 priests. They had trumpets and they were singing. And when they were all in unison... And singing and playing the trumpets. And when they said, praise the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And again, as the the temple was built, once again, just like it happened in Moses' time, it says again that the cloud came. And the glory of the Lord filled the house, filled the tabernacle, filled the temple, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud that was there, the presence of God. Now, I don't know if that means they were all what we would call slain in the Spirit. They just could not physically stand in the presence of God, or they just couldn't get into the the tabernacle. But hey, my goodness, folks, how would you like to know the presence of God so thick you can't make your way into the building? Come on, are you with me? You want the presence of God, it's so thick, you can't get in the building. Because you walk into a wall of something. You know, in my travels, I remember uh, time going down in the country of Haiti, very different climate than freezing cold Canada. And you, you just leave this 30 below weather in Canada, and when you got off that plane in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, I tell you, something, something hits you. This wall of heat, as soon as that airplane door opened, you go down those steps, you go, you hit something. How would you like to hit the presence of God? The glory of God. 
120 priests could not stand to minister by reason of the presence. Moses could not even go in because of the, the manifest presence of God. What makes us his people is that we're people of his presence. That's what counts. Fast forward in history from the time of Solomon and, and you read the unfortunate history of Israel and the unfortunate history of Judah. And eventually they experienced the tragedy of the exile. And due to their sins and because they broke covenant with God so many times, then God allows the Babylonians to carry them away in captivity. And here's the part of the tragedy is that they're taken away and removed from their homeland. But as you read the Psalms and as you read some of the, the minor and major prophets, the greater tragedy was this. They had lost the temple. It was destroyed. It was ravished. It was, it was taken down. It was totally destroyed. The temple was gone. And why that was such a tragedy is because that's where the presence was. That's where God was visibly manifest. That's where the presence was. I mean, listen to the, the psalm, the Psalm 84, how lovely are your dwelling places, O oh God. My heart, my, my flesh sing for joy to the living God. You are my King and my God. Or listen to Psalm 27, one thing have I desired and, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire at his temple, and he just know that he could go in there and find the presence of God and, and communicate with a living God as God would make himself known. But now that this tragedy, this exile had happened, the Babylonians had destroyed the place, this, this sense of we have lost the presence of God. Moses saw the presence of God. The tabernacle of Moses saw the temple of God. The temple of Solomon saw the presence of God. And here we are, and the temple is destroyed. It is no more. And we, the people of the presence, are no longer a people because where is the presence? One of my favorite psalms, the Psalm 63, when David is running from his son Absalom, when Absalom is, is, is leading a rebellion against his own father for the throne. And rather than fight his own son, he withdraws from the city of Jerusalem, from Mount Zion, and he leaves all of that behind him, that tabernacle of David, that 24-hour-a-day worship, the, the sense of the anointing and the presence of God there. And he leaves it all, and he's out there, and he's out there in the wilderness, and he's in a dry and a thirsty place, and he, and he cries out in the wilderness there, Oh God, that I'm here in this wilderness, that I might know your glory, that I might sense your presence out here as, as I see it in the sanctuary. And there was this yearning. He didn't want to be separated from the presence of God. He couldn't handle it. God, out here in this wilderness, I need your presence. I need to see you. I remember meditating on that scripture, and I must have been 19 or 20 years old, a long time ago now. 
And on a Sunday night church service, similar to tonight where we want the body to minister, and I was actually I was on the piano that night. Don't play piano a whole lot now, but I used to. And and uh, remember, I got up and I had been fasting for ten days. Nobody, the pastor didn't know it, and nobody knew it except me, and I think one other person hadn't eaten a thing in ten days, just drinking water only for ten days. And I really felt impressed on that scripture, and I caught up and I came up to the front like I am now, and I, I just read that scripture. How many of you feel like you're in a wilderness and you're just yearning for the presence of God? You need a touch of the presence of God. And a lot of hands just went up. I didn't ask the pastor if I could do this or not. I just said, come on up to the front and gather around. And a group of people just gathered up at the front, hungry for the presence of God. And I just bowed my head and said, God, these people need your presence. And just like that, Nobody laying hands on anybody. My eyes were closed, but I heard it. Bang. Bang. The power of God descended. People just fell out under the power of God. Nobody laying hands on them. Nobody doing anything. We were craving His presence. If we haven't got His presence, we've got absolutely nothing whatsoever. When Isaiah chapter 63 describes why the people went into exile, it says, even when the angel of his presence, which is a fanciful way of saying the face of God himself, you know, that that they rebelled, they hurt God, they caused them pain, they they provoked this Holy Spirit. And uh, ah, let's never do that to the presence of God. Never do that to the presence of God. But you know, God said the exile for seven years, seven decades, and I'll bring you back. Then you know if you read the book of Ezra, you read the book of Nehemiah, and the people come back from the Babylonian exile, and they begin to rebuild another temple, the temple there. Except this time there's a tremendous difference. What happened with the completion of the tabernacle of Moses and the glory came. What happened at the completion of the temple of Solomon and the glory came. What happened at this temple in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah? No glory came. They had built it, but there wasn't a response from heaven. The fire didn't fall. The glory had not come there. And, and, it, and it greatly disturbed because we need the presence. That's what we lost when we went to exile. We lost the presence that we've rebuilt another temple here. And, and the presence was simply not there. Not there. And they began to scratch their heads and says, Well, you know, we're back in the promised land, but we're still in exile. The reason we're in exile is because we don't have His presence. We're back in the promised land, but we're not our own independent people. If it's not the Babylonians, it's the Persians. If it's not the Persians, it's the Greeks. If it's not the Greeks, it's the Romans. And just we're just not independent. And we're, the exile has never ended. And you get to your New Testament. And along comes Jesus. 
oh, I like reading the Gospels. Along comes Jesus. And he had this habit of redefining terms. He redefined what it meant to be the people of God. And even redefined what the temple is. There's a reason he chose 12 disciples, not 11, not 10, not 13. There's a reason he chose 12. And he said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will rebuild it again. He meant his physical body being raised from the dead, but it also means more than that. There's a new temple that he's building. You know what that new temple is? Oh, you do. Of course you know what it is. Don't be afraid to answer. You know what it is. We are the temple of God. And guess why God constructs temples? Come on. Why does God construct temples? <coughs> so he can dwell in it and make himself manifest one more time. Folks, we don't go to church. If we go to church, then we don't understand what church is. We can never go to church. What happens is the church assembles. Amen? The church assembles. And when the church gathers together and when it assembles, what happens is we create an atmosphere for the, a corporate expression of the Spirit so God can make Himself known. And the expression of the presence of God. Again, I ask you, what is it that characterizes us as His people? The answer is simple. It's His presence. There's a reason why this group is called Dwelling Place. There's a reason for it. I hope the name betrays something that is in our hearts. There's a reason it's called Dwelling Place. Because Ephesians 2, verses 20 to 22, it says you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and we are fitly framed together, we're built together into a temple for the habitation of God through his Spirit. And when the church assembles, a habitation place is created for the Spirit and for the presence of God. When we read through the New Testament, it should blow our minds of the experience of that New Testament church. Things that Paul the Apostle says in passing that we could just sometimes read over it. But you know in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when there is a man in, in, in ridiculous sexual sin, he says we've got to deal with this situation. Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit might be saved in that day. What on earth is Paul meaning for that? What he's meaning is that man, until he repents, he can't bring, be bringing that influence into the church. And, and he needs to, he knows better, he needs to repent of it. But you know what? Until he does, he's to be excluded from the fellowship of the saints. Now, boy, we exclude people today from the fellowship. They just go somewhere else. But you know what made that such a hard thing for them? 
is because they were excluded. They never got to know His presence. Because the presence was there. And the gathered people, the presence of God was so powerful that to miss church was a disaster. Now it's kind of optional whether we go or not. But to miss the meaning of the saints gathering and assembling together where God would show up in power, that was a tragedy to miss it. Wow. That's just an incidental remark in, in Paul's writings. And in 1 Corinthians 14.25 where he, he talks about, you know, if an unbeliever comes into your midst and, and prophesy, it's, he, he says this, if you all speak in tongues you think you're mad, you're crazy, and what a bunch of loony tunes this is. But you know, when, when there's a pr- prophetic word spoken, it says, and the secrets of his heart are revealed. And then he would fall down on his face in the midst of you and have to make a confession. God is in this place. Of a truth, God is in the midst of you. And there's something about the church assembling together to create this habitation of God by the Spirit. Where, the, wow, my goodness. Folks, when the, where the presence of the Lord is, there's joy. When the presence of the Lord is, there's miracles, there's healings. When the presence of the Lord. You know, I get all kinds of emails from all sorts of different groups. and Every week I get emails. Every, I don't, I'm not kidding. Every week I get these emails. And they want me to look at these things. How to build your church. How to increase your numbers. How to make Sunday morning service the highlight of a person's week. How to get people back on Sunday nights. And how to do this and how to do that. I just go delete. You should see how many of these I delete. You know why? I discover that God doesn't use techniques. God doesn't use methods. God uses people. And where my heart is, when I see what the world does for entertainment, some of it's okay, some of it's harmless, some of it's not, but it leaves me with a total sense of dissatisfaction. I don't know if it affects you that way. I'm left with a complete and a total sense of dissatisfaction because I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good. And there's nothing out there, folks, that will ever satisfy the longing of my soul. The Bible says, deep calls unto deep. And I don't know how to put it in words. I don't know how to explain it. Paul says, with groanings that cannot be uttered, we aren't able to articulate the depths of our being, and I can't explain myself to people. But I know this, that deep within my heart, I have a craving for the presence of God. And I want to tell you, if the presence of God is so thick that people can't enter the building, you're not going to have to worry about techniques. You're not going to have to worry about 
programs. You're not going to have to worry about how to do this or how to do that. You're not going to have to worry about performance. You're not going to have to worry whether musicians are A1 musicians or not. You really aren't. The presence of God will supersede all of that stuff. And the power of God is quite capable of drawing people. Now, I'm not suggesting we can't learn to do things better or anything like that. But all the techniques in the world are useless if the presence of God is not in the house. Amen? We're hungry for His presence. I have said many times, unashamedly, I consider myself a Pentecostal. And I, I know, depending where in the world I make that statement, how it's received. But when I say that, I believe that as a church, we need to recover the reality of the Spirit of God. That it is not just an intellectual faith that we have, but don't throw your intellect aside. Don't, throw your, don't check your brains out at the door. But God is to be known. God is to be experienced. God is to be loved. We're to receive His love. We're to hear His voice. He's to hear our voice. There's a divine communication between heaven and earth because of the presence of the Spirit. The Spirit helps me worship. The Spirit helps me pray. The Spirit helps me to hear the heart and the voice of God. And we need His presence. And I am not going to apologize for saying those kinds of things. We need His presence. We need His presence. We need His presence. It's more than intellectual faith. We have to encounter God in His presence. And I'm not satisfied with anything less than that. I have tasted enough, I've seen enough, that has put within me this deep, deep longing and craving for His presence. Uh, Perhaps you've had these experiences, but you've been in church and you don't want to leave the service. You don't want to quit. You don't want to go home. You don't care how late it's getting. You don't care if it's going on to midnight. You simply don't want to leave the sense of God's presence. Have you been there? You just don't want to leave His presence. It's awesome. It's just awesome when God manifests Himself in His power. We need His presence. If we try to have church without His presence, what can I say? If we try to have church without His presence, Folks, we're just another religion. We're trying to get people to obey laws and they haven't been even renewed in the presence of God. As, you know, the Bible has a word for that. It says the letter kills. It's the Spirit that gives life. Yes, we're to be obedient, but we have to be renewed in His presence to have the ability. We need that divine empowerment. It's not just following rules, following regulations. It's being transformed into His image by His presence. And then the, 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 the presence of God becomes the power of God in our hearts and in our lives. In His presence is fullness of joy. In His presence there's power for miracles. I'm hungry for His presence. And that's what we need. As leadership, we're dedicated to this. We really are. Talk to any one of us. We're dedicated to this. 
If I have to reduce everything that I want God to do, I'll reduce it down to that one statement. I want your presence. I want people to taste and see that the Lord is good. I want His presence where miracles take place. I want His presence where people's hearts get open and you actually hear God talk to you. You say, boy, what was that? Who said that? That's God talking to you. Your heart gets open and the voice of the living God resounds within your heart, within your spirit. And God speaks to you. His presence is what we want. His presence. Hungry for it. Tabernacle of Moses, His presence. Temple of Solomon, His presence. And when the exile was over, and there's a new temple, the day of Pentecost comes, and the presence of God is restored back to the church. Is that what you're after? that you're hungry for. It's what we want. It's what we need. His presence. Let's pray. Let's pray.